My name is Ben Loft, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors on staff uh, here on our Gilmer campus. And I am, uh, I just said Gilmer, it's Gilmer, <laughs> Gilmer campus. There's an L in that word, I know. Uh, I've, I've written it many, many times. Uh, but I'm glad to see you guys here this morning. If you're a first-time guest with us, I don't want to extend an ex- uh, a special uh, welcome to you. If you didn't have a chance to stop by one of our uh, uh, first-time guest tents or our Next Steps desk, make sure you swing by there. Uh, just give us a few pieces of information. We'd love to have a record of your welcome. And we also have a gift for you. So make sure that you swing by there and pick that up. I'm excited this morning. This is a great week. Uh, uh, so um, this is my favorite holiday week of the year. So for all you Christmas people out there, I need you to grab the reins real hard and pull, okay? So you just slow down for a second because we still have to get past Thanksgiving. I think my wife put our Christmas tree up in July. Um, very Christmassy, but I love, I love Thanksgiving. You get uh, some of my favorite things. I get to eat whatever I want and how much of it I want. I get to watch football, and then, Justin, I get to do nothing. So those are three of my favorite things. And, and my, my family's there too, so... Uh, it's going to be a great day. You guys are going to have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I love this week. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to spend some time wrapping up our Holy Spirit sermon series. We've been, we've been preaching uh, about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, about how we can engage with him. And we've talked about this uh, uh, for, for several weeks. Um, uh, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn to Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start with verse uh, uh, 29. And while you're turning there, I'd tell you that um, as we've preached in this sermon series, there's lots of, of reasons to be encouraged as a believer when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Um, you know, the fact that I belong to Jesus means that I have been sealed and I have been marked by the Holy Spirit upon my salvation. But also, one of the really encouraging and awesome things is, is because of that mark and that seal and the person and work of Jesus Christ, I have access to the power of the Holy Spirit through his filling in my life because I know that what God has called me to do and called all of you to do if you belong to Jesus is bigger and more than we could do on our own and we, we require the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The problem with that is, is that um, I can and I do create barriers to the Holy Spirit moving in my life. I do this without thinking about it. I do it without trying to do it. It happens in my life. Barriers go up that prevent, impede, slow down, or even stop the filling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. You know, uh, Pastor Matt and myself and our pastoral staff and our elders had uh, the privilege of going to uh, Euless, Texas this past week for the Southern Baptist of Texas annual convention. Now, look, if that sounds thrilling, it's because it was. It was unbelievable. We had a great, great, great time. Hours of business meetings with a room full of Baptist pastors. It was a scene. But it was in Euless, so I had to get to Dallas, and then I had to get home from Dallas. Now, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and here's what I would tell you. Uh, There have been road construction in Dallas for the last 150 years, and they haven't finished one thing yet. Not one. There's not one road they've been working on since I've been uh, a small kid that they have actually completed working on. So as we're leaving Euless, it's about 420 in the afternoon, which the traffic's awesome. It's just great. Everybody went, oh. You know, right? You know. There's a billion people, and they're all going the direction I'm going. They're all going to my house, I feel like, because we're all going the same way. And they've got nine highways that are coming together in one place, and we're moving along, and we're just, we're really, really, really flying at the high rate of probably 45 miles an hour on the interstate. And then I look ahead, and you see a sea of brake lights. And you see the the lanes start to dwindle 
right? And you see the construction barriers up, and you see these people are trying to get here, and this guy's trying to get here, and all these barriers, and we slow down to, I don't know, two or three miles an hour on the interstate, which is great. It turns a two-and-a-half-hour trip. It's going to take nine hours. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if, if Matt wasn't with me, I probably would have just called my family and said, we're just moving. Uh, just leave everything at the house and just come on. It's going to be easier than me getting there. But there's all these barriers that take what should be easy driving and easy flow and get me somewhere quickly, and all this construction and all these barriers just slow it down to a dead stop in a lot of ways, right? Well, Believer, for us, there's times in our life where we create these same barriers in our life. We create things that impede or slow or narrow or stop the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Scripture gives that a name. They call it grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. It's grieving and quenching. So today we're going to talk about what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit, what it looks like in our lives when we quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and how we can move beyond those things into the life that God has called us to. So if you're in Ephesians 4, 29 through 31, let me hear you, let me know that by saying the Bible's true. Amen. Amen. So this is what the word of the Lord says in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There's a lot here. And Paul has given a very clear prescription to God's people about how they grieve the Holy Spirit in their lives. And what I would say this is uh, there's certain things that are um, common to the human condition. One of those things is that every one of us has been wounded in some way, right? Every one of us. We have all experienced things in our life that, has, that have wounded us. We've all been the person that has wounded someone else. This is true of every one of you. Some of you are thinking, not me, I'm perfect. You're not. You've done it. It happened. I promise you. And this is most easily seen, I think, in our closest relationships. You know, I think it's true. I believe I heard uh, Pastor Connor Bell say this for the very first time, and it's, it is the truth, that we sin against those that are closest to us the most. We sin and we wound the people closest to us the most. Take a look at uh, a marriage as, as a really good indication of that. If, if, if my sweet bride, Stacy Lofton, determined to end our marriage every time I did something hurtful, every time I said something stupid, which it's not often, but it's enough to be a problem. If she decided she was just going to be done with it every time that happened, we would be having a very different conversation about my marriage up here this morning. But here's the truth. I do things like that. We do things like that. I wound, but my marriage doesn't end. But what it does is that wound interrupts the intimacy that I have with my wife. It damages the fellowship of my marriage. And this can happen for us in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit's person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is an intimate companion. So, because of that, he has feelings and he has emotions and he can and he is grieved by the actions and behaviors of us when we act in a way that is ungodly. Look at verse 30 uh, in Ephesians 4. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of the redemption. This word grieve means to cause severe emotional distress, pain, 
or sorrow. And here's what I would tell you about the word grieve. It is an emotion that is rooted in another emotion. Grieve is a love word. You don't experience grief unless you love someone or love something. I can experience sadness about a thing or about a person's circumstances, but apart from me having a deep love for them, there is no grief, and that is true for the Holy Spirit. He loves us, therefore our actions grieve him. Uh, Famous pastor uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, there's something very touching in this admonition. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It does not say don't make him angry. A more delicate and tender term is used. Grieve him not. For grief is a sweet combination of anger and love. It is anger, but all the gall is taken from it. Love sweetens the anger and turns the edge of it, not against the person, but against the offense. Grieve, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, the grief that the Holy Spirit feels is not directed at us. It is directed at our behavior and at our actions that causes him to grieve us because he loves us and he knows what he has called us to. And when this happens, it causes us to miss out on the manifest presence of God in our life. And just like we talked about at marriage, it doesn't mean that we lose him, but it means that we forfeit our ability to experience the manifest presence of God. And before we jump into this this morning, here's what I will tell you. Because of the grieving of the Holy Spirit, there are some of you in this room that are not hearing his voice. That his power is not being manifested. You don't feel his nearness. Maybe you've even lost the joy of the Lord that you once have. And if that's the case, and it could be, it's because you have grieved or you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God by the way we act or by by the way that we speak or the things that we do. Generally speaking, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we act, speak, or think in a way that is inconsistent with his nature. When through our behavior, our speech, or our thought, we choose sinful desires over the control of the Holy Spirit, we grieve him because he loves us and he knows what is best for us and he has a design for our life. But when we walk in disobedience to God, when we walk in disobedience to the Holy Spirit, it breaks his heart and he grieves over it. As I studied this week, there was one author that wrote this. He said, don't miss the point. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit himself loves us. He inspired the word grief. I love the idea that grief is not a word that a man wrote. Grief is the word that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write about what we do to the Holy Spirit. This is a Holy Spirit word. He inspired the word grief here to communicate this grand love even in view of our sin, a disapproval that is wrapped in undying care. What a great way to describe it. It's a disapproval that is wrapped in in undying care. So let's look at some of the specific ways that Paul tells us that we grieve the Holy Spirit. And Paul takes a look at this in a relation, from a relational point of view. And the first thing that we see is that the Holy Spirit is grieved when we speak harshly to or about others. Look at verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, when we see the the words corrupt 
talk, uh, there's many of us that will immediately go a certain direction. We can identify corrupt talk, some of it, very easily and very plainly. So vulgar or profane language is certainly corrupt talk. It is not hard to spot. We know it. We know it's wrong. We know we should not do it. So I think it's easy for us to identify that form of corrupt talk. But what it says here is corrupt talk is any speech that tears down rather than builds up. So when Paul talks about corrupt talk, he's talking about demeaning speech. He's talking about when we speak harshly or we're ungracious. And I'm not sure that we always view that as corrupt talk. I think so many times it comes out of our mouths without us ever even thinking about it or giving it any thought at all. It just happens. I'm going to use the analogy of marriage a few times in this, and I'll talk about it this way. And I'm going, to, I'm going to speak to the men in the room because I am a man and I am a husband. But I will tell you before I say this, what I'm about to say goes both ways. This is two husbands, but it applies to wives in marriage. Husbands, when you speak harshly to your wife, it hinders your prayers to God because it grieves the Holy Spirit. If you're a man in this room and you are praying for your wife and you're praying for your family and then you're getting off your knees and you're speaking harshly or ungraciously to your bride, you are grieving the Holy Spirit and it is hindering your prayer before God. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God when we speak harshly to others, we speak harshly about others. I would tell you this, husbands and wives, I'm not always talking about when you speak harshly to their face. Sometimes it's when that bedroom door closes and you walk away and you begin to mutter harsh things under your breath. It is the same thing. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God, and it needs to stop. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we act towards others in an unloving way. Verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander to be put away from you along with all malice. The idea here is when we treat each other or speak to each other about one another out of anger or maliciously, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. What does the word malice mean? It means the intention or desire to do ill will. So many times I know that I do and I would imagine that you do that I speak or act maliciously, but I try to justify it by saying, I qualify it by going, well, I know that happened, but it, I, I didn't mean it. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't intentional. Here's what I would say about most things in life, but it's specifically about this. If I have to qualify the statement by saying it's not malicious, it probably was. It probably was. If I have to define something as not intentionally to do ill will towards someone, chances are on some level it absolutely was intentional. If we're full of rage, if we're impatient, if we're inconsiderate towards people, the Holy Spirit is grieved in our life. Think about it this way. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled with anger and impatience and rage. The word fill means full. If I'm full of anger, if I'm full of impatience, if I'm full of rage, if I treat people in an unloving way from the position of anger or impatience, then I am full of that and I cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and it grieves the heart of God and the Holy Spirit and he will, you will see the power in his life turn off like you turn off a faucet when you get out of the shower. It will stop. 
We don't get to just say, this is just who I am. And I will tell you from just in a moment of transparency, this is one that I deal with regularly. Impatience and anger is something that rears its head in my life far, far, far too often. And for so many years, I would walk in the excuse of, well, this is just who I am. Let me tell you what, it's not good enough. You don't get to be who you are if you belong to Jesus anymore. You're supposed to be like him. So that excuse for me and for you does not hold water. It does not. One of our ex-pastors, Pastor John Roach, used to say about me when he talked to people, he'd say, uh, one of uh, Ben's spiritual gifts is bluntness. That's what he said. It's a very sweet way of, of saying a very mean thing. He said, if you ever want to know what Pastor Ben's thinking, just ask him. He'll tell you. And we laugh, and I giggle about it, and I use it as a joke, but in the end, it was, it was intended to convey a thing which was not good, which was ungodly, which was unloving, that I dealt with people in a way that was harshly that was short, that was impatient, and was oftentimes aggressive and angry, and it has grieved the heart of God, and it has turned off the power of the Holy Spirit in my life far too often. God forgive me. The Holy Spirit is also grieved, it says, when we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. Look at verses 31 and 32. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And in 32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Walking in unforgiveness and bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. Walking in unforgiveness and bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a difficult one for so many of us in the room because we talked about it earlier. So many of us have been wounded. Some of us wounded horribly and deeply. And I want you to know that nothing I'm saying right now takes away from that, that diminishes that, that makes it seem like it isn't a big deal. Because for many of you, terrible things have happened. We all have wounds and we have all wounded. And regardless of our place in these offenses, they have got to be dealt with. And when we refuse, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The fact of the matter is, regardless of how you've been wounded or when you were wounded, when you walk in unforgiveness and bitterness, you are spiritually stuck in the moment of that wounding, unable to move forward through the power of the Holy Spirit because it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And we don't, don't, don't see the power of him working in our lives. We have to acknowledge that we're bitter. We have to acknowledge that we're not extending uh, forgiveness We've got to acknowledge that to God and to others. And when we do that, then we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit and he can move us to forgiveness. You see, the movement from unforgiveness to forgiveness is not something that we can muster up on our own. We love to say, oh, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. That's not forgiveness. The only medicine for bitterness and unforgiveness is forgiveness. You can't wait long enough. You can't wait till other good things happen. They never cancel each other out. If you're walking in unforgiveness today, hear me say, I know what I'm saying is not easy, but it is nonetheless necessary because to walk in unforgiveness is to grieve the heart of God. Now hear me, forgiveness doesn't mean approval. It doesn't mean you say it's okay what happened to me. Forgiveness in many times doesn't mean reconciliation. Frankly, there are relationships and people that are in our lives that are unhealthy and ungodly and they don't need to be there. But if they have wounded you, forgiveness needs to be extended nonetheless. And we, as the children of God, have to know this better than anyone else because you know what? We have been forgiven, therefore we are called to forgive. This is why Paul writes that we are to 
Let all bitterness be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And what does it say right after that? As God in Christ forgave you. The gospel example is the greatest example of forgiveness we could ever point to. We are people that are wholly undeserving of what we have been giving. Our actions and our very breath will shame Jesus Christ who hung on the cross for us. But nonetheless, he peered through time and said, that's the person I'm going to die for. That's the person I'm going to take the sin of. You are forgiven. When we walk in unforgiveness as forgiven people, it grieves the heart of God and it stops the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. I don't have the ability to be kind and tender-hearted apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Some people would say, I don't have the ability to be kind and tender-hearted anyway. But apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't have the ability to forgive. The wounds are too deep. There's some of you in this room today uh, that you're with your spouse, or maybe your spouse is not here, or a family member, that they have wounded you deeply. And let me hear you, let me, let, I want you to hear me say, that is not okay. But God's word and his Holy Spirit says to you, you need to forgive. You need to find a way to acknowledge that unforgiveness and that bitterness and allow me to move you beyond it. Does not mean that you say it's okay. It just means that you're ready to stop carrying that brick around in your life. And when you pursue the Holy Spirit of God and you still walk in unforgiveness, you've grieved him. And he's not going to move until you deal with the thing that he has put in front of you. Now, we grieve the person of the Holy Spirit, right? But there was another word we used to say quench. We grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. We quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I'm going to get you to go ahead and turn now to 1 Thessalonians, because we're going to be in two places. So grieving was Ephesians 4. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 16. I understand that uh, as I looked at this message and I realized I was getting to preach this uh, this morning, that this is uh, difficult content. It could feel a little bit heavy. Some of you might even be sitting there going, easy, Pastor Ben, slow down, man. It's Thanksgiving week, be nice. I, w- I would have you say that everything you're hearing me say, the Lord has already spoke into my heart, and the problem with skipping over this is it's in this book. So we have to deal with it, and if we're going to hold on to the promise that the Holy Spirit is good, and he belongs to us, and we get to know him and be near him, then we have to wrap our arms around the idea that if we're not experiencing the Holy Spirit, the problem is not on his end, it's on ours. And the only way to fix the problem is to identify the problem. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22 says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You guys know this, but to quench something is to put it out, right? You quench your thirst by drinking something and you're not thirsty anymore. You quench a fire by snuffing it out, pouring water on it to extinguish it. Now look, we're all good Southerners. Some people might call a few of us rednecks. 
there's one thing that rednecks love to do, and that's start fires. Just, just like the burn stuff. I don't know what it is about it, but we enjoy it. As a matter of fact, as I'm speaking about it right now, half the room is thinking, you know what, when I get home, I'm going to burn some stuff. It's going to be great. <laughs> and one thing we know about burning stuff, because we love to do it, is we know how to build a fire, right? And there are certain conditions we have to put in place. There are certain kinds of wood you have to use. There are certain kinds of things you have to make sure and accelerants you can use. And as I say that, let me help you out. Tannerite's not a good way to start a fire. Just don't do it. It's not Okay. But we know how to build a fire. We know there are certain conditions we have to have in place for the fire to consume, for it to provide warmth, for it to do the work that it is supposed to do. We also know that if we let it get out of hand, we're going to burn up stuff that we didn't mean to burn up, that didn't need to be burned up. The same half that wants to burn stuff now is thinking, yeah, I remember that time I did that. (laughs) You know, all throughout the Bible, um, God's manifest presence to his people is revealed as fire. It consumes things. Whenever the Holy Spirit begins to move in a church or move in a person's life, you you even saw with the apostles as the Holy Spirit fell, well, it was tongues of fire, of flame. Uh, We see this all throughout God's word. And it is a fire that is not intended to be contained. It is intended to spread and consume and burn as brightly as it possibly can and to grow that fire, and to allow it to consume, we need to handle God's presence carefully, because if not, we will quench that fire, and we will extinguish the work not only in our lives, but in our church. In this passage, Apostle Paul is calling the people to a life of prayer to pursue the presence of God. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. It's called to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's work in the church. This letter is prescriptive to the believers at Ephesus. This is a letter written to a church full of people, and there are things going on in that church that Paul says they need to stop happening. One of those things, apparently, is they were rejecting prophecy or the prophetic gift of the Holy Spirit. They were despising it. Now, when you hear me say prophecy, I heard Pastor Todd describe it this way, don't think foretelling, think forthtelling, right? What he's talking about here where he says don't despise prophecy is that the Holy Spirit of God had a word for his church, and he was delivering that word through somebody, and they were despising that word. Quite often, that word comes in the form of preaching God's word with a specific call to obedience. And Paul tells them don't despise when the Spirit of God is speaking doesn't necessarily mean don't hate it. What it means is don't minimize it. Don't act like it has no bearing. Don't act, don't treat it lightly. Don't treat it flippantly. Don't just throw it off, blow it off. Don't worry about it. Don't do those things. If you're a parent in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you look your children in the face, tell them to do something, they nod their head, they say yes sir or yes ma'am, and then promptly do not do that thing. I have an 18-year-old son that on a daily basis I walk back there and go, buddy, I love you, but you need to clean the room. It's horrific. He goes, "Uh, yes, sir. And then the next day I come back and somehow it's gotten worse. I said, did I say dirty it? Because I thought, you know, we hear, but we don't obey, right? He treats it flippantly like it was a suggestion and not a command to do the thing. He sets it aside. Now, look, don't let me pick on poor Harrison. He's a sweet guy, and he does clean his room, so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just using him. I'm not saying it's not true. It's totally true. I'm just, I don't want to be too hard on the boy, right? He's in the building somewhere. I don't want people going up, you really need to clean your room. 
It also doesn't mean that when we get, uh, uh, we hear preaching and we're commanded to do something that we just embrace it no matter what. It also says in this passage that we're to test everything and hold fast to what is good. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in life. When you hear a message and God discerns for you what is good and right, you're to hold on to that part. But far too often, we just throw everything away and treat it flippantly and treat it as if it's no big deal. And what this says is that will quench the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's a few ways I think that Paul tells us how we quench the Holy Spirit. And the first is we quench the Holy Spirit by neglecting his presence, by neglecting his presence. What does Paul say? He says, pray without ceasing. A prayerless Christian is one that is walking in one of the greatest forms of pride we can ever walk in. Prayerlessness is pride. It means I can do this on my own. I don't need you. I don't need to bring, I don't need to come to you and experience your presence. The Holy Spirit of God, the flame of the Holy Spirit is fanned through persistent prayer. And when we stop praying, the Holy Spirit will stop working. Every great movement in the history of the church has started with prayer. And the ones, when it has extinguished itself, it has been the people that have walked away from praying ceasingly, unceasingly to God and asking him for his favor. If you understand the analogy about redneck starting fire, then you will know this. There is one thing that is vital to a fire, and it is oxygen. And prayer is the oxygen to the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And when you stop praying, you are depriving your life of the very thing it needs for the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn. We also quench the Holy Spirit by rejecting his activity. It says, don't despise prophecy. Uh, here's what I'll tell you. God is up to something at New Beginnings Baptist Church. In the years since we started the prayer, there's been over 1,000 people that have given their life to Jesus. A thousand people. Unbelievable. We've seen healing. We've seen messages from God. We've seen prayer revivals break out. Something is happening. But all too often, there's so many of us that are skeptical of it, that want to look at it and act like it's not a big deal, it's not happening. I don't need to be involved in that. They are watching it, trying to pick apart what God is doing rather than experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit and standing with your mouth open, marveling in awe of what God has chosen to do among a people that have no business experiencing it. Anybody in here likes going to magic shows? It's my people. Good. You shouldn't. Here's what I would tell you. I think when you go to magic shows, there are two types of people. There are people that watch and there are people that experience. The watchers are the ones that go, I'm going to sit back here and try to figure out how he does all the tricks and proves that he's stupid. Here we go. I see the wire there. I see that over there. He's got this underneath. That. That's what they do. They're, they're, they're there just trying to tear everything down that's going on. And then there's the ones that experience it, that suspend their disbelief in what's going on and look at it and they experience all that's going on. There's only one half of those people that experience the actual magic that's in the show. It's because they're not trying to pick it apart. They're not skeptics. They're experiencing what they're there to experience. And for the church, there's some of us that are just watching. We're just sitting back, letting it go, trying to pick apart what God's doing. I don't know why that person's doing this. Why are they on their knees? Why are they raising their hands? Why do we have to go up for all these things rather than just acknowledging that God is doing something and he is active and we shouldn't reject that activity. We should lean into it, throw our hands up and our heads back and beg the Holy Spirit to keep doing what he's doing. The moment we reject his activity, 
we quench the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, in my life, and in this church. I've become acutely aware of the fact that my rejection or accepting of the activity of the Holy Spirit can be a barrier to your experience of the Holy Spirit in this church. I can stand in this pulpit and I can prevent the Holy Spirit from, I can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I was grieved in my heart and burdened in my spirit today. We quench the Holy Spirit by disobeying his prompting. This is a big one, and this is a tough one. Here's what I would tell you. The movement of the Holy, Holy Spirit demands a response. Demands a response. I've been in this room. I've been on the Longview campus, and I'm going to just allow me to pastor all of you for just a moment. And I've felt the Holy Spirit of God move in these rooms. And then I have looked out, and I have seen people that have crossed their arms and leaned back with a look on their face that says, I don't want any part of this. I got nothing to do with it. I'm done. I'm not getting out of this seat. I don't care what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. And when you disobey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you grieve his heart and you quench the possibility for his work in your life. The movement and the prompting of the Holy Spirit demands a response from the believer. You need to obey what you've already been told to do. When he tells you to pray, you pray. When he tells you to confess, you confess. When he tells you to look at your bride or look at your husband and say, I'm sorry that I have mistreated you. When he tells you to pick up the phone and call, you do whatever he says to do because that is the obedience that is demanded to continue to experience the work of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this. If you're a believer in here, then the Holy Spirit prompts you to something. The only question we have to ask is, will we respond to that prompting? It's never not prompting us. Never. If he's working in our life and he's prompting us to something, if he's prompting, we need to be obeying. And if we're not, then we will quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and possibly in our church. Passive agreement has never been enough. It's never been enough to sit there and go, man, this looks really good for everybody else, but God's just not telling me to do anything. It's just not true. We can choose to ignore it. We could choose to not hear it. We could choose to not obey. But if we do that, then we quench the Holy Spirit of God. We also quench the Holy Spirit by violating his holiness. By violating his holiness. It says, abstain from every form of evil. This is sin. When he says evil, he's talking about the sin in our lives. Does it say abstain from some sin? A couple of sins? Does it give you a list? No, it says abstain from every form of evil. Of evil. This means to run from it, to avoid it, to keep away from it, to not engage in it because it is the sin in our lives puts up barriers to the Holy Spirit and it grieves the Holy Spirit of God and it will absolutely quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is quenched whenever we allow anything that is unholy or ungodly into our life. Anything. Who cares what you watch? Who cares what you listen to, who you hang out with, behaviors you engage in, speech that you engage in, whatever it is, any sin that's in your life grieves the Holy Spirit and it quenches it and the flame of his presence in our life can be smothered. You know that God wants to give you more of himself, right? Regardless of how much of God you're experiencing, there is more to experience and he desires for you to experience more of it. And if we're not experiencing it, then it's because there's something in our life that is preventing it from happening. 
I don't know what that is for you. The Holy Spirit has been revealing to me what that is for me. But we run a very, very, very big danger of never experiencing the life that God wants us to experience because we're unwilling to acknowledge that we have grieved the Holy Spirit of God and we are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We talked about at the beginning that one of the best, well, I said one of the greatest encouragements to me is that I have access to the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? That I've been marked and I've been sealed and there's not one thing that I can ever do that will ever change that. I have been saved by the blood of Christ, justified before God and there's nothing that will ever save that. And I also as a believer have access to the filling of the Holy Spirit and his power to accomplish all the things that he has called me to accomplish. And if you're not experiencing that, I will tell you that if you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's quite possible that's because you're grieving him and you're quenching the work, his work in your life. You see, there is no middle ground here. I don't believe you can either not be being filled and not quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit. If I'm not quenching the Holy Spirit and I'm not grieving, then I'm being filled because that's the Holy Spirit's desire. And the only thing that stops that from happening is me and you. There's a, a, if you look at, um, I was talking to a firefighter, or they even made a, a pretty silly movie about this. I'm not going to talk about the movie, but I am going to talk about this. Uh, there's a thing when a fire burns in a confined space, right? Closed room. What happens is, is the fire burns up all the oxygen in the room, and then it goes out, right? Then the flame gets snuffed, but the fire's not gone. It's this superheated air that's in this room, but the problem is it is starved for oxygen. It is starved for fuel. It hasn't gone away. It's there, but you can't see it, and it's not consuming anything because it has used up all of the fuel that it has. They call it, uh, it's, uh, the, the phenomenon's called a backdraft. It's a backdraft. And if any of you guys know anything about this, when that's snuffed out in that confined space and it's starved for fuel and it's not working, all it needs is the littlest bit of oxygen and it will ignite in an explosion. In a, a closed room when the oxygen is gone and the fire is snuffed out, the person that opens that door and introduces oxygen into that room creates a massive explosion and the flames begin to burst out everywhere and it begins to do what a fire is intended to do. Believers, some of us, our lives are closed rooms. And the, the grief of the Holy Spirit and the quenching of his work in our life has robbed it of every bit of oxygen. Does that mean he's gone? No. No. But he has no fuel. We have robbed the Holy Spirit of everything he could need to consume our lives in the way that God's word says he wants to consume it. And God's deepest desire and the Holy Spirit's deepest desire is that we would open the door and we would allow that oxygen in and watch when God explodes. And the fire ravages our life in the best sorts of way and does unbelievable, unimaginable things because his word says that he does that and says that he wants to do that. And that is my heart for us today. I know that this message has, might have been difficult for some. It was difficult for me all week when I was writing. But I very clearly heard the Holy Spirit say, we need to open the door. We need to open the door. 
We need to confess the ways that we've grieved the Holy Spirit. Some of you in this room are walking in unforgiveness, and today's the day that you need to pursue forgiveness. Some of you are, 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 are walking in, in, and need to ask forgiveness of your friends or your family or your children because you've talked in an unloving way, an ungodly way. Some of us need to confess before a holy God that, that we have lived a life that has been ungodly, and we have not represented, we have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. And our actions and our speech and our behavior are the things that are preventing God's Holy Spirit from doing the work he wants to do. Believer, let me hear, let me, hear me say this. It's good news to acknowledge that because when you acknowledge that it's a problem, you can confess that it's a problem. And when you confess and repent, God will unleash the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the oxygen. For some of you, maybe, You've never experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit because you've never met him. You've never met him. You sit in your seat right now and you think, man, I really want to know what being filled with the Holy Spirit feels like. I want to know what it feels like to be consumed by the flames of the Holy Spirit in my life and to watch God do unbelievable things. How do I do that? You do that very simply by confessing that Jesus is Lord and confessing that you cannot do life without him. You hit your knees and you say, God, I have done everything my way and I have done it all wrong and I need help. Jesus, save me. And you know what happens? He does. His word says that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God's raising from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say work harder. It doesn't say be better. It doesn't say be nicer. It doesn't say do things for people. It doesn't say go on mission trips. It doesn't say any of that. It says surrender your life to me and I will make you new. If you want to know the person of the Holy Spirit today, surrender your life to him. But for those of us in the room that are believers, here's what I would tell you. We have work to do. My prayer for you today is that you would surrender to the fact that all of us need to put more oxygen into the fire that is the Holy Spirit. We need to hit our knees and beg God to do the thing that he wants to do. We're not asking God to do something he didn't want to do. We're begging him to do the thing he wants to do. So when I'm done here in just a minute, we're going to open this altar, and we're going, to, we're going to worship. And when we do, I want you to examine your lives for just a moment and think, is it possible that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Is it possible that God wants to do a little more than I'm experiencing now? I think what we've done is we've become satisfied with lives that we think look Christian and we have no idea what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow God's fire to consume us completely. So today we're going to open the door and we're going we're to let some oxygen in the room. And we're going to watch what God will do when we honor that. So my challenge is, whether you're at this altar or whether you're at your chair or whether you need to go across the room and grab somebody by the hand or whether, wife, you need to look at your husband or husband, you need to look at your wife or whatever you need to do, don't quench the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit by being disobedient to his prompting today. Today's not the day to cross my arms. Today's not the day to say, I'm not going to get out of my seat and go up there because people are going to know and people are going to think, guess what, I'm going to help you out. We all know because we know ourselves we're all the same and we all need more of him. So my call to you believers to give yourself over to the idea that we have to pray that God would unleash himself on us. So I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. And when we're done, I would ask that you would give yourself over to the oxygen of prayer to the Holy Spirit. Confess 
the grieving, grievous behavior to the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit in this room today. Leave here different than you came in. We'll have people to talk to off to the sides if you need to speak with someone. We'd love to talk with you. If you don't know Jesus, it would be the honor of my life to get to tell you about him today. Come and find me. I'll be right there. Father, we love you. God, I'm grateful today, Lord. I'm grateful that uh, your word is not silent on how I hinder your work and your Holy Spirit in my life, God. And I pray that today in this room, Lord, as I feel your Holy Spirit here, Lord, that you would descend on each and every heart in this place and there would be confession and there would be repentance and there would be an unquenchable desire to experience more of you through prayer and worship and through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we love you. Lord, we need you. We need you now, Jesus. We pray these things, all of these things, in the power of the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ.